If you or a loved one has a hoarding problem, let's work together on a solution. Thank you for stopping by the Hoarding Solution podcast. I'm honored today to speak with Nestor Molina, who has the company Just In Case Emergency Prep, LLC. And I'm very happy to have him here today, um, sharing about the work he does and talking about some of the differences between hoarding, prepping, and being just plain old prepared for things that um, come up in our world. So thank you, Nestor, for being here today. Thank you for having me. So I'm, I'm excited to talk with you about this. And I just want to mention from my end, like we tried to do this recording and I was dealing with wind and rain and unstable internet and power surges. So I appreciate that we are talking about all these things and um, just getting people to know, you know, what their options are. So I know that you are a retired U.S. Army Ranger, so thank you for serving our country and um, doing all the things that go into that in military service. And um, I'd love to learn more a little bit about you and, you know, what kind of brought you into emergency management or emergency prepping, I should say. Well, this this was a, uh, I guess, a lifelong thing that I have been doing. I just did not know that I was doing. If I can, if I have to pinpoint what made my my decision to work on this was, <clears throat> excuse me, Hurricane Maria, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. 2017, Hurricane Maria devastated Puerto Rico. And I was still in the Army back then. I was in the process of my retirement, actually. And a group of five of us went to Puerto Rico to help out with the Red Cross. We took vacation time, volunteer with the Red Cross. And I saw how bad it was. My mom was without power for nine months. She had no running water. And I was like, this, this, cannot, this cannot happen again. So that got me thinking about how I can help. That's where, as I was retiring, they, they give you this like little test, uh, placement test to see what you're into <clears throat> on the, uh, the program as uh, Soldiers for Life. And it came out and said emergency and disaster management. But I've never heard of it. I didn't even know that was a degree. I, was like, I didn't either until I was, re- I was like, I didn't know that was a degree. <laughs> it is. So after Hurricane Katrina devastated New Orleans, uh, FEMA changed. A lot of our emergency response changed because we were, you know, wildly unprepared. So that's kind of where the big shift into we need to make emergency disaster management its own category. So I retired in March. 30th, 2018, and I started my degree on April 1st, 2018. I was like, we're doing this. This is what I'm doing now. This is the goal. So two and a half years later, so I'm a, I'm a COVID graduate. So didn't get no graduation, didn't get anything. Uh-huh. Just like, all right, cool. That's a global pandemic. So here's your degree. Have fun. And uh, that drove me. That That's basically why I started looking into how much I knew about preparedness. It was Hurricane Maria, talking with my sister and my family. My wife is from Puerto Rico as well. And all of her family's there. 
I just felt the need to be able to help out, help people understand that, how to be better prepared. And that family connection, you know, and seeing how difficult it is, uh, I think it really speaks to the heart-centered aspect of of these things. I mean, people hear FEMA or emergency management, and I think when you start talking to people that do the work, you realize what the human connection is, that human element, you know? I It just, that's what drives the solutions. And I, I have, my grandma at the time of Hurricane Katrina lived in um, Mississippi, and they were like, she lived like four hours north of New Orleans, and they still lost power and had trees down all over the place. And, you know, it was very devastating for for outlying communities, obviously not as bad as New Orleans, but I had spent time in New Orleans and it was just terrible to learn of all the, the mm-hmm. levees breaking and how unprepared we, we were for that situation. And there's a lot of things that go into that. And there's, there's socioeconomic issues that go right. along with emergency management. Uh, one of my, it's not my favorite thing, it's Disasters do not discriminate. Disasters do not care about your your income, your social status, marital status, nothing. If they're going to happen, we're not going to stop it. So I thought, if I cannot stop a disaster, then we can at least mitigate the damages or the effect that a natural disaster will have on us. Is that's one thing I want to uh, I like to put out early. It's not about doomsday prepping the world is ending aliens are landing it's not about that uh if that happens we have bigger issues okay right that's not what i I do Uh, i'm more i'm I'm a family person i mean number one adjective married have three kids and a dog that's the first thing that i gotta you know to put on a bio or anything like that so everything that i do is for my family and i thought I thought everybody knew the same things that I did. And my sister was the very first person to tell me, actually, before Hurricane Maria, I was telling her what to do. Because mm. I was stationed in, in Scorpio, Hawaii. And I was telling her, you know, do this, prepare this, do that. I asked her, I asked her if she had a doorstop, one of those rubber doorstops. And she said, I don't have it. I was like, okay, go get one. Because she lived in an apartment. I said, go get one and put it in the inside of your door. And jam it down so you have the deadbolt and uh, the door jam so your door doesn't fly open. And, you know, because it was a Category 5 hurricane. Mm-hmm. She's like, I don't have it. And that's when she's like, enough. I'm done. And I'm like, okay. She's like, method. Not everybody thinks like you do. Tell me what I need to do now. And I was like, okay. I start working on, what you know, food, water, shelter, fire. And I just went down the line. Right. And what she, we worked on and what she didn't, she didn't. It was too late to go get prepared. Plus, there's not much that you can do to prepare for a Category 5 hurricane other than lock everything down and hope, pray. Well, and that's so true because I years ago, I was stationed on Guam and then I left and w- returned there and we had Super Typhoon Paca that hit us like 175 miles per hour winds 
and yeah, there was not much you could do, but like you said, secure the door. I mean, I went through every single towel I had. I was mopping, just trying to push the water out of the house so it wouldn't flood the entire downstairs. And, but it's, that was my reintroduction back to a tropical island after being gone for like a year and a half. And it, and you really start thinking about what am I going to eat? What if the power goes out? You know, we, Ours was not that long. We, the power was out for 10 days, but still you have no refrigeration. Anything you have is gone. Um, and so in some ways I feel fortunate that I kind of grew up in a rural kind of farming mindset because you just make do, <laughs> you know? But like you're saying, how can you be prepared for some of these things? You know, how you batten down the hatches and you put up your boards and you you pray, you hope that, you're going to get through it. So um, it, it's a valid point, though, that not everyone thinks like you do or like a military member does because you're constantly in that kind of frame of mind of how are you managing whatever situation you're in. Right. And I used to think that it was that it was the military mindset in me, you know, being a ranger and deploying and all this other stuff. You make do with what you have. But as I think about it more and more, this is well before my military career. Mm-hmm. My first hurricane, I believe I was eight or nine. Was hurricane oh. And I was, I was young. And I remember we moved from my house to my grandma's house because we had a creek behind our house and we didn't want the creek to overflow and come into our house. And I can hear the, the fruit and the mangoes just smashing against the roof. Mm. And there's a feeling of hopelessness. There's nothing I can do. I mean, I was not. But I, I think about how, even if I, I was an adult, there was nothing I could have done. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in Puerto Rico, we built, we built houses differently. You know, it's concrete, rebar, you know, cinder blocks, because we are going to get a hurricane. We don't build the houses on cardboard like we do here in the mainland. <laughs> But I think all the way back then, you know, Hurricane Hugo, Hurricane Andrew, and that way of thinking. Plus, I grew up, I mean, I grew up poor. I wasn't on the street for too long, but, you know, you just make do. And it goes with what you were saying. You just just make do with what you have. Mm -hmm. The military just kind of harped on that a lot. Right. And now, the way I'm looking at it with, with my company and in general is, you can make do with what you have or you can be prepared and now you actually have what you need for for the aftermath i mean there's the pre-disaster right you know preparations then there's the disaster itself which it has its own set of issues and then the the post-disaster that's where you truly find out if how prepared you are and something as simple as a power outage it can be catastrophic if you're not prepared for it. So that's that's why I wanna I wanna help people understand that being prepared is not being a prepper. Those are two completely different things. We we do emergency management all the time. I mean, if you were to go for a drive, it's 30 minutes away, you put it on G- your GPS or you know where you're going. So you're preparing and you leave with the right amount of time to get there, so you're still preparing, you know? You can make it as far back as you want. 
if you have a meeting, you put on a certain clothes, you know, certain outfit. So you are still preparing. We're doing it all the time. Now we just got to turn that mindset and think about emergency preparedness. What if something happens? Exactly. And I like how you're framing it because you're right. We're always preparing for something, whether it's driving or a meal or a meeting, like we're always getting ready for something. So why not build on that to be prepared, you know, for other things like in the winter, I rarely go anywhere in my car without a sleeping bag, just in case, because you just don't know if you get stuck or if, you know, I, it's not been in an emergency situation, but anyhow, I have to take a ferry or I had to take a ferry a lot to go back and forth. And there was a time when like they canceled it. There was no way to, for me to deal with it. And I ended up sleeping in my car that night in a campground with, and thankfully I had my sleeping bag and my dog. <laughs> so, you know, and it wasn't like, I wasn't, I sure could have probably done something different, but it was a busy time of year. I really didn't want to fork out the money on a hotel. Yeah. You know, I had a dog. You can't always get a room. And so even that little piece of it was, I'm really have glad I have a sleeping bag with me because I can make do. And like you mentioned that for me started way before the military. Like that was kind of how I grew up where you just are, or you try to be prepared if you can be. And, but I think it's really valuable to also actually plan to be prepared so that if you're making do, at least you're making do with the things you have ready the things you prepared just in case right and i, I like that it, it makes me chuckle every time somebody says just in case because now i hear you know my company and that's that's one of the things i kept talking to my wife I have, and my son my oldest is he's a senior in high school and i kept telling them before i even decided to start with the company i was like i'm not trying to to like be a zombie apocalypse type of person i'm just like just in case something happens, like just in case the power goes out or something like that, like just in case there's an emergency. And I kept thinking about it. And I'm like, why don't I just call it just in case? Like it's literally, that is the whole point. It's just in case. So I went online and I found the name. And I was like, oh, it's here. Because I like to say I started my company at two o'clock in the morning with my phone. Because I just went in and found it. I was like, I'm doing this. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it. And that's what I want the name to be as simple as I wanted the name to be simple. I didn't want the name to be like intimidating or to have people that never thought about preparedness go, you know, not even come see us. Right. You know, I'm, a, I'm a family man. I, I have the experiences that I have, but I translate all of that into my family. It's the same thing with the equipment that I use. If I don't use it, I'm not selling it. I'm not giving it to anybody i'm not promoting it right it's just uh, what you but, do it's like that's right. what you do and that now you're sharing it and you're you're actually living what you're talking about you know you're actually you know you're not doing anything that you're not already doing yourself and you're just yeah. sharing it and i think when i look at business or any endeavor you're on i just think when you have that personal connection, there is just more humanity in everything that you do. You know, you, 
you see the the struggles you've seen them personally you you've lived it personally and there's something to be said for that lived experience and granted now you have education i had the same i never thought i'd talk about hoarding in a public manner you know <laughs> i didn't ever think i'd ever share about those experiences until i realized how many people didn't know about it how many people didn't think about it like i did and mm-hmm. it was able to bring a lot of that personal pain or fear of of that situation and talk about it in another way i mean like i can hear you talking about the mangoes falling like you bring that sense of hopelessness to what you're talking about i mean it's real that you've experienced it and bringing that into whatever you do i think just makes it much more it makes you much more approachable for the person who understands that just in case i mean that is like a catchphrase in our culture how brilliant to just say i'm gonna call my company that like everybody talks about just in case well that's that's one of the things that i that i want to make sure that i put out there 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 were some other companies there are some other companies that that do i want to say similar things but they are very they're very focused on, let's just say, worst case scenario, weapons training. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've always thought, you cannot shoot your way out of a tornado. It's just not going to happen. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, I, I was a, I mean, being a ranger, I deployed, you know, seven times overseas, mm-hmm. Iraq and Afghanistan. I've taught weapons training. I'm a weapons expert. I went to Peru, worked for the uh, United States Embassy, teaching anti-narco-terrorism units down in Peru, small unit tactics. So I I know what I'm doing with that. But when I think about it, that's not my passion. I know how to shoot. I know how to use my weapons. I know how to teach people how to use their weapons. But that's not what I, when I'm sitting down on my couch, that's not what I'm thinking about. I'm not thinking about the best way to aim or how to do something tactically. I'm thinking about what if there's a power outage? What if a tree falls? What, you know, what if there's a car accident? Just in case there's a car accident, what do we do? I've been very, I've been very fortunate to be unfortunate. I've been in a lot of emergency situations. Back then, I did not understand why. Now, those are the pillars onto why I do the things that I do and how I do them. because my company is driven to help people that have never thought about emergency management. And just to take that fear or that stigma, whatever it might be, like, hey, you buy groceries, buy a little more of this, you know? If you have, you know, if, if everything in your house is electric, for example, and you lose power, how are you going to heat up your house? Mm-hmm. You know? How can you create a microclimate inside of your living room to just stay warm right here? It's, it's things, once again, that I thought everybody knew, but they just don't. So, and that's a great point. Like I've ha- had a power outage for three days and I had gas heat, but it was powered by electric. You know, that's what kicked it on. And mm-hmm. So I'm interested in knowing, 
like how do you create that microclimate i mean i know what i did i shut all the doors to the rest of the house i had a fireplace um and basically that became the focal point of where i i was because that was the only place i had heat at that point you know and so i was sleeping on the couch the dog beds were in the living room like every that became that focal point for like three days because that was Mm -hmm. you know really all i had at that point right well that's that's what you do if you prepare for it um there was a there was a video that i watched I believe it's FEMA or the Red Cross. They want you to have a painter's cloth. It's a plastic sheet. It's like 10 by 20. It's about 200 square feet. And this gentleman said, well, you don't really need this unless there's a nu- nuclear like disaster. I was like, that's not true. Right. So how to create a microclimate? I mean, other than step one, if you have it, put a tent in the middle of your living room. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, you put a tent, you're warmer. But if you don't, you seal off an area. You know, it's a lot easier to warm up a 200 square foot room than it is to heat up a, an entire home. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have painter's tape, uh, the blue tape, and that's, that's just being picky, right? Because you can use duct tape on the wall, but then when you rip it out, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take your paint off. Mm-hmm. If you use blue painter's tape, it doesn't rip off your paint afterwards. And just a, you know, a tarp, a sheet of plastic, uh, seal enough the edges of your windows to make sure that uh, you don't have any air coming in. It's simple things that while you're in a disaster, while, you're, while you are going through an emergency situation, we're not thinking as clearly as we want to. Right. Because we're dealing with all these outside uh, stressors, right? So you think about it before. You know, it happened to us when I lived, I lived here uh, in Porter Village, that's the military housing for mm-hmm. the 5th RTB, the Ranger, uh, Ranger School Mountain Base. And I came back, I think that's when I came back from Peru on Christmas leave. I had to seal off all of my windows. I was like, why is my house so cold? Mm-hmm. Because it dropped. And here in Georgia, it, I mean, it doesn't go in the negatives, but it gets cold. Mm-hmm. And I put my hand on the window. I was like, why are you? So I just put my entire house looked like I was about to renovate because I have blue <laughs> painter's tape all over windows, doors, everything. And then it finally started warming up a little bit. Uh, and, and that's why I said I've been very fortunate to have some unfortunate situations happen. You know, and it's like, oh, this could probably help someone else. And, and taking that and, and sharing that, I, I, it's such an important message because it, you're right. If you at least have a plan or an idea or at least the materials to execute on warming up your house or at least keeping, retaining any heat you can by putting plastic mm-hmm. or a blanket or something, I don't know if people realize how much heat can escape through windows, you know, and if you're okay. blocking that off, then you are retaining more of that in your home especially if your power's out or you're trying to keep that little space warm but um i think it's really important for people to have i mean you hear people kind of randomly talk about what you should have in your emergency kit or you know having extra medication having some extra dog food you know having toilet paper you know having some kind of way i mean on guam the joke was always 
you make sure you have a couple cans of spam but it's not really a joke you know if you have nothing that you want to have some canned goods or something that's edible that you can eat if you have no power no way to cook no way to you know and so it's it's funny but not funny because i i understand that having some canned goods in the cupboard is a good idea you know um and it's small things like that. Like you're saying, you're in the store, you're already shopping, right? So why yeah. not pick up an extra can of chili or an extra bag of dog food? But I think that's a point of of people talking about like expired food. And if you are in a place where you're preparing, you are using, you're checking on what you have, you're cycling through it, you're replacing it, and you're not just hoarding a bunch of expired stuff you know like and i think that's a big difference in the fact that pre- preparation means you're prepared but you're also managing your preparation if that makes sense yeah and i, I think that's like the first thing that we talked about and it got me thinking so the, the main difference that i believe we have in between hoarding and preparing is organization mm-hmm. we know like i know where every single item of everything is in my house even if it's like oh it's in that box in the basement right next to the other seven boxes at least i know in the general vicinity where things right. are uh, but that was actually one of the first things i did with my company i you said something that's very true uh a lot of people know that you should be prepared but nobody tells you how and once they tell you, hey, and the ones that do tell you, hey, you should have, you know, this, you should have a lighter, you should have this and that in your bag or in whatever it's going to be, people don't tell you how to use it. True. Like, it's great to have all this equipment, but if you don't know how to use it, it's pointless. And if you don't know why you have it, it's pointless. Uh, so one of the first things that I did with my company, and I still have it right here, it's still on the tape, I created categories. I broke everything down into categories. Mm-hmm. Well, I have even my logo, and you mentioned that you saw the logo. My logo is the colors that it is on purpose. The four pillars of, or cornerstones of emergency preparedness is food, water, shelter, fire. If you have those four, you're going to be okay. Maybe not for an extended period of time, but you're going to be okay in the immediate future you know, before, during, and after a disaster. Then you move on to first aid. That's why the emergency prep is on red. Because mm-hmm. I want those colors to, I want people to start associating a category with the color. And that's where the organization comes in. Because uh, I'm guilty of it. I have all kinds of stuff. But <laughs> they were not in a specific location. I just knew where they were. But packing with the army, you know where everything is. And you just pack it and everything goes in the bag. But now that I'm at home, it's just a matter of having everything that I need just in case of an emergency per emergency, right? Because a power outage versus a fire, those are completely different things. Exactly. Uh, So the categories right now with the 10 categories, food, water, shelter, fire, first aid, um, uh, communications, hygiene, signal, tools, and entertainment. Those all have different colors. If you find an item per category, 
you're going to be very well prepared mm. because you, it's something that you can use. There are items that you need. And then once you have the basics, for example, I made a, a, a bucket, right? It's a five-gallon bucket. Mm-hmm. And I make a five-gallon bucket, let's say for $100. Let's just go to Walmart. I have 100 bucks. There's a, there's, a, there's a storm coming, and I make something happen. And I did. And I follow the categories. And I was like, okay, I need, you know, I need signal. I got this. I need tools. I got that. You know, I got a, for tools, I got a multi-tool and a crowbar. Right. And I took my kids with me. <laughs> my, my younger two. I took my younger two. Because uh, my oldest was working. And I was like, okay, boys, now we're going into tools. And I grab a, leather, uh, a multi-tool. And my, my second boy, Joseph, is like, Papa, we have those. I'm like, no, no, I know we do. But it's, it's imagine that we didn't, but we do. I'm like, no, no, but imagine that we don't have anything. And he's like, why would we not have anything? We should, we should be prepared. I'm like, I know, I get that. That's because you're my child. That's because you're, you're being raised a certain way. But if we didn't have it, and he's like, okay, who doesn't have a multi-tool? I'm like, that's not the point. Let's put it all together. So right. I, was, I mean, it took me like three hours because I was with them and I was teaching them why, mm-hmm. like why I would buy a crowbar. If I'm stuck in my basement, it's fantastic that I'm, I'm safe, let's say from a tornado. Right. But then how do I get out? So that's why I have work gloves and a crowbar. Mm-hmm. It'll help me get out. Another thing that I do that most people have seen on my, on the bucket, on the handle of the bucket, I grabbed a spare key and I looped it through and that goes in the basement and it stays there, right? I call it a, I call it a F2. It's a fire and forget. Just mm-hmm. leave it alone. Have all your stuff and leave it there. And it's once again, just in case, just in case there's a tornado and I'm stuck in the basement, then we have multiple ways to get out. Well, and you know, that's a really great point about you might be safe, but at some point you need to get out of there. And even in the movies, even like that is the hardest part. A lot of times is escaping from whatever situation you're in. So, I mean, you, a crowbar, I mean, you could use it as a hammer. You can bust out a window. You can, you know, deal with intruders if you need to, like there are multiple uses for some of those things, but, Mm -hmm. uh, and I like that five gallon bucket thing because it's very simple to get. It's easy to, you know, you can put it all in there. You can cover it. Most people can carry it, you know, if you don't make it too heavy. So, you know, um, that's a great way to have your stuff ready, you know? And it's, and it's the idea with the bucket was everything has to have multiple use, right? Like you mentioned the crowbar, you can use it to bust the window. You can use it to hammer something. Well, the bucket itself, the reason why I chose a bucket versus a bag, I call it the F2 right? Fire and forget. I want you to have it, put it in a closet, put it in the basement, leave it alone. Mm -hmm. If it's a bag and for some reason you need a bag, you're just going to dump everything out and grab the bag. Well, the bucket, you really don't need it for anything else. But also, let's say you lose power, you don't have any water and you have a way to procure some water from outside to like flush your toilet. Well, now you have a bucket so you can put the water. Now, let's say you're stuck in an apartment, like stuck. You cannot get out. Well, that bucket with the trash bags in it now became your bathroom. 
Mm-hmm. There's, there's a big, it, I need to make sure that I can explain every different use for multiple uh, pieces of equipment. Mm-hmm. Like to me, the bucket makes sense. I'm like, the idea was, because this was a challenge to myself. I'm like, can I buy something? Can I buy all the categories, fit them in the bucket? They have to fit inside of the bucket. Um, and it was for that reason. Uh, I, I saw a video of a young lady. She might have been 18, 19 years old. She got stuck on Hurricane Ida in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And she called her mom. Her mom just dropped her off the week before from Texas. She called her mom, freaking out. Like, mom, what do I do? Because this is the first time that that young lady is on her own. Mm. So the mom, there's nothing she can do. She's in Texas. And the daughter, she doesn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So I thought that's that's where the idea came as a parent, you know, as, as a parent of somebody that my son is about to go to college next year. And I was like, I, you know, I can't I can't just like come home or let me go to you. I can't do that anymore. So I wanted to make sure that they had everything that you needed just in case there was an emergency. Mm-hmm. And that's how I think is what I mentioned earlier, early on. Everything is with a purpose. And the main overall goal is to have my family be safe. So how do I expand on that? How do I teach that to people? That's, I guess that's the, uh, that's the key to the company. I'm just want to make sure that everybody knows I'm coming from a place that is feasible. I think of emergencies that could happen that do happen. Mm-hmm. And it's so, so true that when you have other people relying on you, that you want to be able to help them and protect them as a family person, you know, and even if it's your neighbors or other people that you care about, you know, being able to share that kind of information or talk them through it on the phone because you know, and they don't, at least there is some help for them, you know? So how do how do people, well, tell us more about how you help people understand, you know, what they need and what, what do you, how can people reach you to, to work with you? Well, so, so far the, the, so I started, I was trying to find a way to, the fastest way to reach people in a, in a, with a category that everybody understands. And I believe first aid is something that everybody knows you should have some sort of first aid. So one of my best friends is a retired medic, army medic. Him and I went back and forth to put a class together. Uh, and we put together an, an IFAC, an individual first aid kit. And I have a, a course where I teach first aid. Uh, but this is trauma emergency first aid. Uh, a lot of the kits that you see out there, they will have a, a, a 14 gauge needle for needle decompression, or they will have a nasopharyngeal or a chest seal. Well, I was thinking, how do I make a kit that is a trauma kit and a first aid kit? Mm. One of the main things that I have, we have a tourniquet, you know, Israeli dressing. We have everything that you need to stop the bleed, right? Because that's that's a national campaign. Uh, And I'm also partnered with uh, North American Rescue. So I have all of their equipment because of, North American rescue is tried and true. After 20 years of war, they definitely know what they're doing. Mm. But it, 
that's where the teaching portion came from. It's great to have a, a first aid kit, but if you don't know how to use it, then what's the point? Um, so that's where we started. We started teaching people, started teaching people how to put a tourniquet on. Hmm. I have friends that they go hunting and they have a tourniquet. They never used it. Right. I had a, I had a firefighter come through my class. And I, have, I teach compression gauze, how to stop the bleed with compression gauze and A-strap. And he told me, he's like, we've never done this. He said, we have the equipment, but we have never done it. We have never practiced it. I was like, well, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't seem right. Well, like, that's really terrifying and interesting. And that's such a great point because I remember taking firefighting training, you know, when I was a young sailor in the Navy. And so I had an idea how to operate a fire extinguisher. Fast forward years later, I worked for a state agency and you see them everywhere, right? There's fire extinguishers all over the building. But how many people have actually ever used a fire extinguisher? How many people know that you're supposed to pull the pin and go through that process, that you need to shoot it at the base of the fire? Like people talk about it, but people are actually quite scared to actually pick up that thing and understand the heft of it and how to how to use it so that's actually really true <laughs> that we have a lot of equipment around us that we don't know how to use and that's the key that's where i could not find a company mm. that was teaching people how to be prepared mm-hmm. everybody if i could only find so from red cross level and I call it as low as possible emergency management, right? Uh, and the type of training that they do, or <laughs> it was on the complete opposite side of the spectrum. It was tactical combat casualty care. You know, bullets are flying, people are dying. And I'm like, what about in between? What, who's teaching a, a, a family person, right? Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. to keep their kid safe. Uh, <laughs> I like to say what if Timmy, Timmy falls off the trampoline and breaks his arm? What do we do then? Right. Because that would be as scary to a parent, right? That me being in a firefight, it, 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 they might not correlate, but that is the most stressful situation that that parent might be in ever. Mm-hmm. They broke the arm. So inside of the uh, individual first aid kit, we have a sand splint. The reason why I'm such a fan of the Samsung is because I used it in real life. My son fell off the bed. We thought, I thought he broke his arm. Mm. So I grab a Samsung that I had. I cut it. I put it on his little form. He might have been seven at the time. Put it on his form, you know, shaped it through, wrapped it with an ace wrap, and I took him to the hospital. And at the hospital, they're like, who did this? I'm like, I did. Like, oh, okay, wow. <laughs> in my head, I'm like, doesn't everybody know how to do this? Like, it's just a Samsung. Like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. they're like man people don't know how to do this but back then I wasn't you know I was busy I was in the army I had a, a set of you know my priorities were were very different right so I teach that to people I taught that to my neighbor how to use a stem splint on their little one because massive bleeding is not the most common issue in a family right? now if we're talking about a car wreck we might have different, you know, there, there are different problems on a car wreck. Um, unfortunately, again, and fortunately, I have responded to a car wreck. Mm. That is, vehicles upside down or uh, on a side, and somebody was pinned in the vehicle. Mm. Because where the impact was, 
a person was hanging upside down mm. and I had to get him out. And even then I was helping the EMT do their job because I was inside of the vehicle mm. because the young ones didn't really know what to do. I'm like, okay, sure. And that's where the company came from. I'm like, well, nobody's doing it. I can't find anybody teaching people just regular everyday families how to do certain things. I'm like, you know what? I'll do it myself. And that's where we are. <laughs> and that's the thing. It seems that you, we identify a gap, you know, like you looked around and you could not find what you're looking for. So, all right, fine. Then I guess I need to do this myself. And right. um, that, but that family aspect that these are like, it's more likely a kid is going to fall off a trampoline or a bed, or there's a mm-hmm. comedian I listened to recently who talks about, they tried to fly off the roof with an umbrella, you know, and it's just like, you know, they're seven. They don't, they're not making that connection that that umbrella mm-hmm. is not going to hold as you dive off the roof. Um, but it's just those type of things. Like, I mean, I remember spraining an ankle when I was a kid. I remember falling off the monkey bar. Like, you know, those were more common things than like internal bleeding or, you know, that, that type of thing. So I can definitely see where like the splint, understanding the splint, the compress, or even if you have a scrape or, you know, to stop the bleeding, you know, how, how to do yeah. that. But it, and it, it, there's some truth to having some awareness of what to do. You may not remember everything, but if you've practiced it, at least you kind of have some muscle memory there. You kind of understand this is that process to go through. And, um, even I see it even with animals, like I have a dog that she had hurt her, kind of hurt her paw and you're kind of wondering, you know, but we wrapped it with an ACE and kind of put, and that seemed to help, you know, and it was more of a sprain, I think, than anything, but to even, and it's funny because you were talking about having like your little kit, right? Well, we pulled out this emergency kit out from underneath the boat and it was so ancient, like the zipper was rusted we had to cut the thing open just to get out an ace wrap you know and but that's an example of wow i guess we haven't looked at that in a long time and if you had really needed something like a needle like it was rusty as all get out like you wouldn't have wanted to use it so there's something to be said about looking at that you know having a a plan to make sure you have all that stuff you know and to look at it once in a while you know to make sure you've got everything you need in there. Um, of course, that was a pretty extreme case of, hey, I haven't looked at this thing. But uh, having some of that around, having some resources around when you need it is really valuable because people freak out. Oh, there's a storm coming. You can go to Walmart and the stores are like the shelves are cleared. You are lucky if you get a flashlight and, you know, an extra bag of dog food or a loaf of bread. I mean, I've seen the shelves cleared after some of the things that we have gone through in our country. So hurricanes after 9-11, you know, anytime people are basically terrified of what might happen, there's like a panic purchase. And if you could do that beforehand, at least you would have some of the things you need, you know, um, before that. I noticed noticed that on the... uh... When the pandemic started, and I've been tracking this well before, uh, I, I talked to my neighbor. I remember I talked to him in about 
February 10, 2020. Uh, we had a Boy Scout meeting and I was like, hey, you know, how are you feeling about what's going on with, with COVID? Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I've heard about it. Or so you simply do the math, right? So Asia was going through COVID and then Germany, then Europe, Italy, Spain. I'm like, we're about two, three weeks from this happening to us. Mm-hmm. I mean, it might be on the other side of the world right now. But as we know, everything, it'll, it will migrate. So, and I had some stuff, but I didn't have the level of pantry that I have right now. So mm-hmm. I remember going well before it was on the news. And I went to Costco and I bought everything that I could possibly need uh, to, to enhance what I already had. Uh, because we're a family of five with a dog. I'm like, okay, I need, I need everything. You know, mm-hmm. and that included the dog. I went and bought two extra bags to make sure that we have food for him. Um, I went back when when it was declared that COVID was a thing mm-hmm. and that we should be ready to lock ourselves down for three days, three weeks. I remember I drove to Costco. It was about a 35-minute drive from me. I live in the North Georgia mountains. I mean, mm-hmm. You find a Walmart, a Dollar General, the end. Uh, so you have to drive a good 15, 20 minutes to get to the next town. Mm-hmm. So I drove to Costco and I remember I drove in and I was like, oh man, this is pretty packed. And out of Costco, you go up the hill and at the entrance to the left side of the entrance. I start seeing people and the line was around the parking lot. Wow. So I drove in and I turned right back around and I was like, <laughs> I'm going home. Because I didn't, I didn't need anything, but I wanted to like just get more, just in case mm-hmm. you know this was longer. Uh, and I was like, why are you guys not prepared? But but the the main thing was I saw people walking out of the Costco, and I saw like just a couple of items, mm-hmm. and I I do that a lot. I do that a lot when I go to when I go grocery shopping or whatnot. I look at other people's shopping cart, and it's like okay, and it, it just baffles me that I see somebody have like two fruit salads, you know, a loaf of bread and, and a bottle of wine. That's it. I'm like, we're at Costco. Like you buy bulk items. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, you understand that this could get bad. Like right now, as, we, as, as we're about to go through the winter, I, I said that we, we skipped fall completely. We, took, yes. we had like a, a day or two of fall and now we're on winter. Everything is supposed to get more expensive as far as the utilities. It's not that I am preparing for a complete shutdown of our uh, our supplies. It's that I don't want to pay the prices that it's going to be in three months from now. I just don't want to. Mm-hmm. Being, being from Puerto Rico, we have a DACO, and I don't know the, the literal translation to it. But it's, it's a government agency that increases all the prices if there's an emergency mm. because people try to price gouge and you know right companies try to price gouge. we don't have that in the united states in the mainland and i don't understand why so the prices go you know they skyrocket as soon as there's an emergency in puerto rico you can't do that mm. so the prices are going to be locked but what you're going to run into is is the long line like to get gas to get ice, to get things like that so we have been preparing for a very long time. It's something that is ingrained in us, being from a tropical island in the Caribbean. It's like, it could happen. And even then, 
with Hurricane Maria, people were not as prepared as they needed to. Uh, and that happens a lot in the United States, in the mainland, because we're not used to certain things. Like Tesla's froze last year. I mean, it, right. it actually froze, and people didn't know what to do. Well, I cannot hold that against them, because what are the chances of that happening? But now you know that it could happen. Mm-hmm. So if people are not prepared this year, they should have been. I mean, COVID hit, and that's a global pandemic. None of us know what we're doing. This was knee-jerk reactions that you know from being in the military. You know, knee-jerk reactions are not usually like the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So now we're dealing with the ramifications of the decision, decisions that we took early on in 2020. And it'll be okay. We'll figure it out. It's going to take time. But winter, <laughs> it sounds weird, but winter is coming. It will happen. Right. Somewhere that it should not be as cold, like Texas or Florida, will get colder than it should. So what are you going to do? So you should be prepared just in case. Mm-hmm. Now you know there's a, there's a possibility. And one of the things I have is that I believe that a better prepared community is a safer community. Mm-hmm. And that's overall what we, what we all want to do. If I'm prepared, but my neighbors are not, we are not prepared. Right. So I, I, I said this to, to a guy last week that I've been thinking about for a while. And the way I look at emergency preparedness, you have never gone to a potluck party, right? Hey, bring, bring an item. You have never gone to a potluck party and leave hungry. Never. It's never happened. Right. Because everybody brought one item. But you never leave hungry because we pull our resources. You only have to bring one thing, but there's a feast for everybody. Mm-hmm. That's how emergency management and emergency preparedness should be. If we all have a little bit, if we pull together our resources, our capabilities, our knowledge in a community, we will be okay. That's how people should look at it emergency management you know my neighbor is a doctor he's a pediatric doctor mm-hmm. he is a hundred percent in my preparedness plan they right. know who i am so i am in their disaster plan they understand what i do and they have expectations um, but all of our neighbors all of everybody in our community should have something that they are good at mm-hmm. and then we put it together and we don't go hungry, right? <laughs> Once again, I've never been to a potluck party and leave hungry. It's just it's not going to happen. And it's, do the same thing with preparedness. And it's so true that you, like, what are you bringing to the table? And at least understanding what, what you can share, what you can provide, you know, in some way to your community. And um, I... And sometimes, well, I'm just thinking of my grandma after Hurricane Katrina, when I was actually able to call her and in that, you know, it's a dirt road. There's maybe 10 houses, you know, 10 families that live there and they were all pulled together. You know, someone was cooking some meals, someone was chopping the tree to get it out of the road because no one could leave. And so they were pulling all their resources together for that 
you know, it was like a 10 day time period when they really couldn't get out when they really, and even if you could, there was nowhere to go after all the winds and the trees down. So it was really valuable for them to be able to pool all that stuff together and make it through. So, yeah, I really see the, the, that's why we're the, that's why we're the company. Uh, I'd say that what we do is we consult, educate and customize. Right, because your emergency plan is not the same as my emergency plan. It is it is impossible for me to think that what I do is the same thing that you need. Um, so that's where the console comes from, right? We get mm-hmm. together, you know, over the phone or in person, and just talk about what your concerns are, right? and then we educate. It's not only the education portion into okay, here's what I'm going to do for you. When a disaster happens, it doesn't matter. How much equipment I bring to you if you don't know how to use it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to teach you. I'm going to show you how to use it and why we chose this particular piece of equipment. When it comes to the medical portion, the number one thing that I tell people that come through my class that I want them to learn is to stay calm. Mm-hmm. Because during an emergency, somebody, someone has to be calm. There's going to be people that are going to be freaking out. And that's okay. They, that's their process. But somebody has to stay calm. And I want you, whoever it is at my class, to be the one that stays calm. Mm-hmm. The first thing I tell people when I start my medical class, I stop in front of everybody and I go, okay, I, you verbally, I, I make the, my class verbally say, after they take a deep breath, they breathe out. I verbally have them say, okay, because you have to tell yourself that this is happening. You have to acknowledge that we are in an emergency situation and we did not plan for it. I mean, nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, you know what? Today will be a good day for an emergency. (laughs) Nobody does that. Nobody. (laughs) No, No one. So you have to take the time to acknowledge that this is different. Take just three seconds for yourself. Because every second after that is for the other person. You have to acknowledge that you're done thinking about you. Now it's for others. It's the same thing with a parent, thinking about their children. It's the same thing with your pets. You're thinking about the pet. It's the same thing with the elderly. You're thinking about them. And a lot of us do that, especially in the, in, in not, not only the veteran community, but in the service community. We completely bypass anything that we need. Mm-hmm. And we worry about other people. During a disaster or after a disaster, the hero phase kicks in, right? During a disaster. Right. Just people, random people just rescuing others and grabbing dogs and pulling them and swimming against the current and making it. Or, you know, there's stories about a mom lifting a car so their kid can come out. And all of those things happen. Shortly after that, we're about to crash. Right. And that's where, where that phase of understanding what just took place is coming in. So that's where, by preparing beforehand, you can have a shorter time before you start going into the rebuilding phase. Rebuilding is not about, you know, erecting a building. No, no. Rebuilding starts as soon as you can acknowledge that this, this disaster did happen, that a house fire took place. That's when you can start rebuilding. And it is a process. I want people to be better prepared for that process. 
I want somebody to stay calm, collected, and that way they can be an asset versus, you know, being, being a problem or a liability because they cannot deal with the situation. Because if you cannot deal with a hurricane, you're going to have to learn how to deal with it because the hurricane does not care about how you're feeling about it. It does not care. Right. NATO will not stop and go, oh, let's bypass this house. They're not ready for me. No, it's going to go right through it. So it's the same thing, you know, a car accident. It's going to happen. It might happen to you. It might happen to somebody else, or you might be responding to the car accident. Mm -hmm. But either way, it's going to happen. So we should be better prepared for it. And a couple different times where where my boyfriend used to live is very, it's a horrible intersection, terrible. And you more often than not, at least three times in the three years that he lived in that area, we responded to somebody getting T-boned in that intersection. And he's out in the street directing traffic. Like we were just drinking some, you know, (laughs) some Kool-Aid and you hear the crash and you just run he's out there directing traffic i'm calling 911 and you're not you know i was in a calm place already but it i wasn't necessarily ready to go run out and see you know a, a car smashed you know a lady a kid in the car like it wasn't so severe that no one survived you know everyone survived and it, it but still there's a lot of trauma that's happening in that moment for those people that are going to have to recover from it later and then if you are a person that responded to it who knows how you're going to respond later if you hear sirens or another car crash or you know if you haven't dealt with that aftermath piece and in particular i'm thinking about this one time a car got totally derailed but no one knew that other car had gotten hit and went off in the ditch for a good 10 minutes probably because they were dealing with the main traffic on the road and so you don't always know what you're going to encounter with some of these situations. So I, I really think it's valuable. And it's something I also do with my clients. Like, how are you doing before you even walk into this chaotic situation? How are you doing? Because we don't take the time to focus on that. You're right. We're always looking at how can we help the other people. And I know it's, possibly cliche but there's a reason why you put your own mask on first in an airplane you know and so then you're more prepared to deal with the rest of it because if you're not taking care of you how much good are you going to be to anyone else so Mm -hmm. and that's I think some people have a hard time digesting that idea that you need to be a priority but it's also there's a lot of truth to once you have kind of settled and you're like, okay, I acknowledge this is happening and now, and I'm okay, you know, and now, now how do I move out? How do I do this? So I think that's really a valuable piece that is missed frequently in these conversations is the importance of making sure you're centered enough to move into that situation. Right. So if you, if you just respond, things are just happening. Right. You're not you're not aware of what's going on. Things are just happening. But if you take the time <clears throat> to acknowledge to yourself, this is happening right now. We're in it. You 
can actually see things in three dimensions is what I called it. And I used this analogy when I was in the military as well, right? If, if you're in a fight, you're not controlling the fight. You're in it, right? So we need to acknowledge that this emergency, for example, your, the car accident is happening and it gives you the, the understanding of your surroundings that, hey, what, what did this vehicle hit? Right. Where is that other vehicle, mm-hmm. right? So you start thinking a little bit more three-dimensional, right? It's your point of view, it's our point of view, and it's the overall point of view, right? So uh, I want to, it's not until you're in that situation that you think about what you're going to do. Once you're in it, you're not thinking. Uh, and I and I go back to my very first casualty. My very absolute first casualty was a friend. Mm. And I responded to it, and it was not even enemy fire. Mm-mm. This was a, a horrible accident mm. that took place. And when I responded to it, it's because, well, one, I didn't have a job at the time. I was literally in route. This was in Iraq. I was in route to go get my vehicle because I was a 50-gunner at the time. I was going to get my vehicle. So I was just sitting. I didn't have a job. You know, this is not my vehicle. This is not my truck. Mm-hmm. And then I look over and my friend Ricky. And I remember after we did everything. I remember his night vision device was, you know, it was on a space. What a tank turned his turret into the road, into the freeway. Mm-hmm. And as 50 gunners back in the day, you were on top of the Humvee. Mm-hmm. He ate. He ate the tank barrel. Uh, the tank just hit his gun and his gun smashed him in the face. Oh. There's nothing that we ever prepare that will get us ready for that. Right. So his night visions were into his skull. Mm. Uh, there's no other way to put it. They were into his skull. And I was like, what? What do we do now? So I remember wrapping it all up on him and going, okay. We got him off the vehicle. We did everything. Right. So make the long story short, we got everything done. And I remember grabbing his RBA and wedging it behind him to pop him because he had a collapsed lung. Mm. And his best friend, John, Johnson, was like, what are you doing? He doesn't need that because he's going in the helicopter. I was like, they told us that if somebody had a collapsed lung, we need to tilt him this way and use the RBA to prop him and then wrap him up. This is all happening. And he's like, you're right. They did say that. Okay, good. And we wrapped him up and we put him in the helicopter. But if I didn't train beforehand, I would have never known that. Right. And he got the same training that I did. But this is his best friend. He's in a different frame of mind Mm. uh, that I was. Right. So it was my job to think another, you know, in, in a different mindset. He's in it. I had to be just a little bit further out. And I remember from random training, okay, do this. Ricky's okay. He's fine. I mean, he lost his eye. Mm. He's alive. He's got a kid, wrote a book, you know. <laughs> wow. But at the time, it, we're just E4s running through, you know, Iraq, just doing what we needed to do. And my very first casualty was a friend. Mm. And ever since then, I'm like, okay, I have to know what I'm doing regardless. And now I bring the same thought process to my company because the person that you're going to respond to more likely is is a family member. Mm -hmm. So how do you deal with that? There's a reason why we don't let doctors operate on family. Right. You're not there, but you have no choice. You're in it. You're in that emergency. So I just want to help people be able to 
have the training and the equipment, combine the two and be better prepared. Right. And it makes so much sense to, to be prepared if you possibly can. And um, it's, people don't, I don't hear the word a lot, but I remember when we were talking in, in the warrior council and you were talking about mitigation and I was like, it, huh, someone else is using that word? Like the mitigation piece is so, so valuable. And I mean, I'm just thinking even now, well, first I want to acknowledge that you all went through a lot as E4 is running. I mean, you do a lot as a, a you know, as in a role, you may not, people may not think that, oh, you know, you're an e, you're part of the E4 club or whatever. I was too, but do you know how much work people do in the military? You know, I mean, it's a lot of, there's a lot of things that come up that you um, may not realize you're going to encounter as a, you know, a low, what people say, lower enlisted. But I mean, when you think about what you go through as a young person in the military, it's a lot, you know, and, and it's no wonder that people have ish, issues to overcome. And um, well, in my world, you when, know, when I became, when I, 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 so I went to ranger school as an E3, I was in ranger regiment. So before you get your ranger tab, you're just a person. You're just there. <laughs> I, I like to say that the hardest job I ever had was to be a private in the ranger regiment. That was the most difficult job I ever had because it was it was about survival. But I remember I came back from ranger school and I graduated ranger school and I met with my unit in Afghanistan. And immediately I became a team leader. And I was like, this is different. <laughs> Wait a minute. I have lives that I'm in charge of other humans. Like they they expect me to know what I'm doing. So I was like, I could have done one or two things, either rely on my ranger tab and be like oh i'm so and so now you know i have a ranger tab corporal molina yay or i could have done what i did which was completely freak out and be like oh my goodness people are expecting me to know what i'm doing so get on every book start asking questions and i was like okay what are we doing i remember having a uh, being a Caesar uh, crash search and rescue team leader mm. and i don't remember paying that much attention because i was a private but then all of a sudden you graduate ranger school now you're in charge mm. and he was immediate and that's what changed my entire perspective of the military you know i was like wow i'm in charge of, of people so when when the situation with ricky happened all the gunners were top spec fours or corporals but we have people that we were in charge of mm -hmm. and then you see one of your own one of our own i mean we used to we used to cope with our job in iraq by playing ping pong, of all things. Hmm. We, be playing, we became really good at ping pong. And it was all the gunners, 50s of our 19 gunners. And we went, we used to go to the MWR and we played ping pong for hmm. hours. We didn't talk about what we were doing. We didn't talk about the next mission. We didn't do anything except play ping pong. And now we went from playing ping pong to getting a call, to getting on the trucks, to all I see is dark dark blood because it's night nighttime mm. and all I see is blood everywhere and I look and I'm like whoa and on top of that <laughs> one thing I forgot to mention on my very first casualty the Mark 19 barrel broke off and it shot into the vehicle mm. and it knocked our medic out oh, our geez. medic was completely knocked out 
So we had no medic. This was us. And if my leadership did not train us the way that it did, we would have not been able to respond as fast as we did. Mm -hmm. So there are experiences that, that, that got me here. Uh, what I believe that makes us different with just in case is my understanding that this is not combat. I'm not preparing for war. If I was doing that, it will be very different. Right. I am preparing for a natural disaster, maybe a man-made disaster or a combination of the two. I mean, there's only two. That's it. There's no matter what we think about, there's a man-made disaster, there are natural disasters. You could have a combination of the two. Mm -hmm. For example, there's a tornado and it takes down the power lines. So you have a natural disaster combined with a man-made structure. There's a combination. Right. But there's nothing else to prepare for. I'm not prepared for one specific incident. I am prepared just in case there's an emergency. Mm -hmm. what, the emergency is, uh, what the emergency is, I don't know. So I'm just prepared for what I need. Mm -hmm. With my family, my wife, my kids, my dog. I mean, I have preparations that are just for my dog. And some people forget about it just for my dog. Like I have a kennel. He has two kennels. He has a travel kennel that goes in the back of the truck when we go somewhere. Mm -hmm. And he has a permanent kennel. That's the one that he used to uh, fly. I have a, I mean, I have a 85 pound German shepherd mm -hmm. fully trained. So I think of a tornado and we all go to the basement. Well, he has a kennel in the basement where he is to go into his kennel while the tornado happens. I want him to be comfortable in a very uncomfortable situation. Plus, mm -hmm. like I said, he's 85 pounds. He's a full-grown German shepherd. I don't want him freaking out, and I, he will never bite, never. But I don't want him to be freaking out and hurt himself, scratch and claw one of us. He is in his own little world, and we are right next to him, going through the same process together. You know, there's his leash, there's his food. If we're stuck in the basement, he's going to be fine, just like us, because he's part of the family. Um, and that's kind of what I bring to the table. I, I can do a consult with you. It's like, okay, what is it that you're concerned about? Okay, let me see how I can help you. And then we put it together. Because it's, it's your plan. Your plan has to be tailored to you. I cannot tell you buy this bag or buy this or do this training. Like people in Wisconsin would not know what to do if there's a hurricane in Florida. Now people in Florida will probably freeze to death if they go to Wisconsin. Right? <laughs> so everything is different. All emergency preparedness is not a one, one size fits all. And we need to make sure that we acknowledge that. And unfortunately for us, in the in the general population, Red Cross and FEMA, they are there. There are some fantastic people that work in those organizations, but they are reactive. By nature, they have to be reactive. Something has to happen. I am more proactive. If you are better prepared now, you will not be a liability later. Very true. And, so and that's, that, that's what we're doing. Well, and I appreciate you taking the time to, to share 
your perspective and and the work you're doing because I think it's really valuable to to look at preparation from an actual proactive perspective that the reason you're doing it is to be proactive not because you want something to happen but it's pretty common knowledge that just in case is is a common phrase like you that at some point you're going to have to deal with something you weren't planning on so if you can be as prepared as you can and stay calm i love the calm i love to take a breath take a take a minute acknowledge where you're at and then look at how can i go forward yeah i have a very i have a very uh i have an interesting business because i hope that everything that I'm teaching you or everything that I'm bringing to you, I hope you never use it, which is right. the complete opposite of any other business. You know, you want repeat customers and all of this. I'm like, I hope that you never have to use anything that I'm helping you learn. Uh, the beauty is though, preparedness, it never ends. It will never end because you can be a very basic level understanding of emergency management and emergency preparedness. Or you can be all the way up to, I call it level five preppers. Mm-hmm. I know level five preppers. I know them. I have friends. We have plans. Mm-hmm. But that's just not me. That's, right. I'm a, I'm a family person. So that's part of why I built the website the way that I did. That's why the Facebook is the way that it is. Um, so, so off my website was on purpose. So people feel like, okay, let me just look into it. Mm-hmm. versus you know all kinds of like you know the end of the world stuff i'm like no no no. that's just so the, the website is jic emergency prep.com and then the facebook page is it's the same thing jic emergency prep and i try to keep it all simple same with the instagram J, that one is jic underscore emergency prep uh, and it's the information in there I want people to have it, you know, I, I want people to just be better prepared, whether they come to me or they do it themselves. It's overall our community. So use. Well, and there's an And can you say your email again? The, my email is Nestor.Molina at jicemergencyprep.com and we have one of the beauties of the company we have four experts it's not just me when we do a consult i get together with my team and we have a survival expert and we have uh, a logistics expert and a medical expert and the people that i work with are they are my friends we just happened to be a specific group of people that we did a lot of stuff in the military and we are taking all that information. All of us are not only have military experience, but we have our education in our individual field. Mm-hmm. And we all look at the same or, or issues the same way. How can we help you? Like, okay, Tammy, what, this is what Tammy needs. Mm-hmm. This is where she lives. This, are, this is her current household structure. What can we do for 10? Okay, 
well, what about this? Hey, Doc, what do you think about that? Like, oh, okay, cool. We put it together. One-stop shop. This is what you need. This is how to use it. And this is why. We do everything from start to finish. Whatever you need, after we go through the console and after I consult with my team, here it is. Deliver, sign with a pretty bow. <laughs> and that's just step one. And then we go on to, you know, keep escalating our level of knowledge. Because the reason why some people are very afraid during an emergency is lack of knowledge, right? So their level of fear is very high because mm -hmm. their level of knowledge is very low. So my goal is to build up your level of knowledge to bring down your level of fear. And that's so valuable, you know, it really is valuable to increase what you know and mm -hmm. reducing that fear also gives you a more sense of control over yes. you and that, you know, situation that you at least have some idea how to proceed through it. Yes. Ultimately, ultimately, you and I could be neighbors but you are going through a disaster or an emergency differently than I am. Mm -hmm. we, we are going through the same thing together, but individually. You're there, I'm here. And we could be next door neighbors. Mm -hmm. We could be in the same household. The way that I look at, if we were to have an emergency in my house, the way I look at it and go through it and the process is different than my wife's way of looking at the same emergency right and we need to acknowledge all of that and we just need to if you're better prepared for the aftermath you are a lot more confident like you said while the emergency is happening mm -hmm. well i i really appreciate um everything that you're sharing and i really want people to be able to connect with you and, and get what they need. And so I really appreciate um, everything that you are doing and uh, for looking at it from a very family, human centric perspective. I think we really need that. Um, well, we always have, but I think we really need it even more so today. So um, tell everyone your website again. The website is jicemergencyprep.com. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. And everyone, thank you for stopping by the Hoarding Solution podcast. And be sure to connect with Nestor and his team um, to get yourself prepared before the next moment where we say just in case. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. If you or a loved one has a hoarding problem, let's work together on a solution. 